On this episode, we'll be uh, recording from the National FFA Convention. It's the 95th National FFA Convention, which was recently held in Indianapolis, Indiana. We'll be talking to students, former members, and current Helena employees that got their start with the blue and gold jacket. And we'll learn about their journey as they navigated through the organization and and then on to their professional career. We'll also visit with several award winners and uh, former interns that uh, are now uh, receiving quite some honors at the National FFA organization. In addition, we'll visit with Jody Lawrence from Nashville, Tennessee, who'll talk to us about the commodity markets and what's happening in wheat right now. Now, I apologize up front because it is pretty loud here where there's over 70,000 students making their ways through the uh, Career Expo in Indianapolis. So stay tuned and listen to the many career opportunities and the journeys that many of these former and current FFA members took. Our first interview, uh, we did a call-in with Tom Bowen, who actually joined us in Indianapolis. Uh, Tom's going to join us on the call from his home in Idaho. You know, FFA impacts people in a lot of different ways. Going back to the FFA motto, uh, for those of you that are not familiar with the FFA motto, learning to do, doing to learn, learning to live, and living to serve is very important to anybody that wears the blue and gold jacket. And today we're excited to have Tom Bowen with us, joining us from Idaho. Tom's works for Helena in the agri-intelligence area, and he's just the epitome of somebody that's living out that motto. And this week, we had the opportunity to spend some time in Indianapolis at the National FFA Convention. And Tom got to share some of his insight about agri-intelligence, as well as his journey with F. FFA uh, to many of the members that were present. Tom, welcome to FieldLink. Hey, good morning. It's great to be on here. Tom, we had a great time in Indianapolis at the National FFA Convention, nearly 70,000 students in attendance, and you had a great opportunity to engage with those students during that convention. Yeah, Bill, that that was pretty much an eye-opener. It had been many years since I'd been there, and there was so much energy and enthusiasm, kind of a bright spot to look forward to. Yeah, it definitely is. And, uh, uh, you know, you and I talked about it. It had been many years since uh, we had been to the convention. Uh, Back in Kansas City, I think, was your first National FFA convention. Yeah, yeah, it was Kansas City. We uh, took our chapter from little town of Idaho, Burley, Idaho, and uh, got to see the big city. (laughs) It was my first time flying, um, first time getting a taxi, first time for a lot of things. And I tell you what, that was an eye-opener then. Um, a, lot of, a lot of good opportunities that uh, we got to take part of and some tours that we went on. It was a, it was a great experience. Uh, definitely. And, you know, and I think that's uh, really interesting, you know, when we think about the motto that I stated earlier. You, and I think, Tom... FFA is a great place to build that foundation uh, and to build your career. So let's talk a little bit about your your FFA journey and where it's led you today uh, working for Helena. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of to tee off the journey, I grew up on a small family farm in, in south central Idaho. Um, we, uh, we, ro- we raised pigs and bottle calves and uh, had some horses and just different things and had some crops. And I uh, started off really with 4-H. 4-H was kind of the, what teed it off. And as I got older, got into FFA. Um, and within the FFA program, I was able to have some market swine and, and breeding swine, as well as raising sugar beets um, for, for my SAD projects. And 
with those that taught a lot of responsibility, I'm sure my parents probably have a lot of good stories of kicking me out of bed and saying, we got to get up, got to feed the animals and, and a lot of things like that. But uh, honestly, uh, those projects were were great building block for me to kind of understand budgeting, understand responsibility, um, taking care of things besides myself. Um, they were they were projects that kind of kind of led me to where I'm at today, um, really. Because what what I learned there, I, I was part of a, a parliamentary pr- procedure speaking team, public speaking team. Um, didn't go far but had a lot of good experiences there and also soils judging um things that i probably wouldn't have probably taken on without a little encouragement from an advisor had a great advisor that that he was a good mentor that really um i guess saw past who we were as teenagers and saw the the opportunities and the the potential that we had because he uh he spent a lot of time and effort and i don't know how he left with any hair after some of those days, but we had some good experiences where we we learned, um, like I said, the public speaking, you know, how to lead a meeting with parliamentary procedure, things like that, that I probably am a little rusty today, but it, it created that building block, how to structure a lot of things in life. Yeah, I think that's a really great point you bring up, you know, Tom. I mean, some of those uh, fundamentals of, of public speaking, but also parliamentary procedure, you know, that, that process... Um, is simply not taught really in our education system anywhere else other than, you know, programs like the FFA. And I can definitely see when I go to meetings as school board meetings or if I go to, you know, a city council meeting or uh, any club meeting, you can always pick out those students that have been through the FFA and really truly understand parliamentary procedure. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely, a, a, I guess, a, a trait or something that you're not going to pick up elsewhere. Yeah. Tom, you referenced, you know, some of your projects budgeting. Uh, uh, I, I know when I ran for my uh, state farmer degree and my American farmer degree, oh, my gosh. And that's back before computers, by the way, <laughs> keeping track of all of those uh, receipts and, and in managing that. That was the fundamentals for understanding a, a P&L. Absolutely. I, 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 can, I can remember the book. It was a brown covered book. And we had all sorts of pencil marks and scratch marks and 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 changing things around. And and I too went through that for a, a state degree and as well as an American degree. And um, I, I that that part right there was was quite a bit to learn and to understand. It was I making money? Uh, what's my return on investment? How many hours am I spending on this project? A uh, lot of lot of little tidbits like that, which is interesting because my kids are now in the FFA program. They, um, they are, they do a a dairy heifer project and they've also, uh, a couple of them have done some soils judging as well as milk judging, uh, livestock judging. And now as they do their record books, it's all web-based. A lot of those calculations are done for them, but a lot of the inputs are the same, the same principle of, of what your expenses are, what your incomes are, how many hours you're spending on the projects. And to me, that's very valuable because that's a life lesson that as you get in and, and start learning and, and dealing with life, and, and I have a senior in high school now, um, they're starting to understand why we do what we do or did what we did in those books. And right. um, it's just kind of neat to see the technology move, but the principles are still the same. 
I, I definitely remember the days of the adding machine tape, adding that into the the, the record book. And uh, my, my daughters look at me cross-eyed when I talk about that. But yeah, definitely we've evolved. But yet, to your point, the fundamentals are still there. Tom, FFA took you on quite a journey uh, across seas, overseas, uh, when you were uh, a member. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, my first flight was to to Kansas City, Missouri, you know, big time, Midwest. Yeah. I had the opportunity, our, our, our chapter was involved in an FFA exchange with a, a group of agricultural students out of Novosinkova, Russia. Um, not exactly sure how this relationship was formed, but uh, several years during my time in high school, different different groups got to go, and I was actually uh, allowed or not allowed, but but chosen to go um, on one of these trips. And what it was was an agricultural exchange to to different areas within Russia um, to to look at different universities, different farms, um, and kind of understand what their depth and culture was with with a lot of the agriculture there and I was there for about a month and during that month we did a lot of tours and saw a lot of things and people and and we sp- I actually was able to spend a week with a, a family there a host family and and in return those families or those kids came over to Idaho um, to stay with us um, they were able to spend uh, several weeks with us at our home and we took them on different tours and kind of in exchange for what they did we did that for them and Really, it was an opportunity to uh, to see the world. I mean, literally, to see mm-hmm. what what was going on around the world. One kind of eye opener to me while I was there was John Deere was kind of getting their foot in the door with some of their equipment there. Um, to me, you know, John Deere's on every corner, and you know, every farmer or everybody has some involvement with some type of John Deere equipment. And for them, that was a big deal. They had some, a John Deere tractor at their university facility, um, and and it kind of showed the evolution or the the change that was happening in that country. And it was exciting. It was exciting for them and, and with lots of opportunities, great soils, great opportunities there. And things were, things were changing quite a bit at that time. Yeah. That was an interesting era. I, that was, uh, just after, shortly after, I, I believe the uh, the fall fall of uh, the Soviet Union, and uh, uh, a lot of things were evolving. Then I actually spent some time like that in Hungary, and uh, I'll never forget my flight. Like you mentioned, flying over to Budapest and. A gentleman from actually Idaho uh, was sitting next to me, and we started visiting. I had my jacket on, my blue and gold jacket, which is, you know, really a, a global symbol in a lot of circles. Um, and, and sure enough, this gentleman, he started, well, I was an FFA. Really? Tell me more. And he was an agronomist and going over to Hungary to teach uh, farmers how to grow potatoes. And I dug a little deeper. Sure enough, he worked for McDonald's, and he was teaching growers how to grow potatoes for french fries for one of the first franchises opening over there and 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 that experience alone opened my eyes to the world of global uh global food and 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 the global impact that the united states has uh on agriculture yes it's uh until you bump or rub shoulders with people and and kind of see what their story is and their their avenue to get where they are um it's definitely a global global world, and, and a lot of it does lead back to the FFA. Uh, whether they were involved in FFA heavily or they had a, somebody in their system involved, a lot of those, re- those roads lead back to that blue and gold jacket, like you say. 
Yeah. And, you know, and, and Tom, you know, just like the motto says, now you're living to serve. You and I both were kind of in that stage in our careers and our lives. Um, uh, how are you serving the youth today uh, as a Helena employee? And, 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 and honestly, how are you serving uh, our customers out there that are, you know, trying to feed this global uh, society? Yeah. So I mentioned earlier, I've, I've got two two kids. Um, they're both active in FFA. Um, it's fun to follow their journey and see what they're doing. Um, trying to help at the chapter level, um, whether it be by a, a financial donation or a volunteer or um, just giving them a ride to their different activities. Sure. Um, it's important to be involved in their lives because my parents were involved in mine and it meant a lot to, to have that support from a parent and to uh, and see their excitement in my wins and also my, my downfalls at times. Um, and so that, that portion of it really hits, hits home with me. And, and as far as the community goes, um, within Helena or my personal um, uh, voy- voyage here, um, I, I think being able to, to share my story or to share this leadership responsibility um, uh, to show, I guess, what, what it means to me. Um, there's, there's different just little, little groups or little community things that, that come up that, that we have the opportunity to give back because I know with, with, within FFA, there were a lot of fundraisers and things and, and to be able to get back and support those kids that, that do that, you know, they have a poinsettia, um, uh, sale that they do around every Christmas and, you know, they, they try to do that and anything that they, they are involved in, it's fun to be a part of. Awesome. So, Tom, you know, after after your experience uh, in in FFA um, as a uh, as a member, um, tell tell me a little bit about uh, your your journey and through college as well as you know your professional career and and really what are you doing today for Helena? Yeah. So, um, I I, I th- feel like I've I've visited several different colleges. So after my my college uh, career, or excuse me, my high school career, I. Um, uh, spent a couple of years in Mexico on a church mission. Um, okay. That was an, also an awesome opportunity to kind of see the world, um, learn a new language, learn a new culture that has served me well uh, today with even the language and, and some things that I've got to do within Helena, speaking the Spanish language. Um, I then went on to college, uh, got an, an associate's degree from uh, BYU-Idaho, uh, ag business degree from um, uh, BYU-Provo in Utah, and uh, spent some time with the graduate degree in um, u- at the University of Idaho. Um, and what's interesting about that is that that educational voyage, I guess, is what you would say, um, sure. really let me see different people, experience different opportunities. And my first job as I got out there was in technology within agriculture, and it was more of possibly an engineering type thing. But because of a lot of that background I had with agronomy and soil science, FFA, and some leadership with along the way, that is what guided me to that career um, and enjoyed it. Was there 10 years, and then uh, the opportunity came to change, and I came to Helena as an agri-intelligence specialist. And with that is kind of a culmination of all of these things. Um, I do a, a little bit of uh, public speaking at grower forums, do, gro- grower groups, trade shows. Um, that once again, that path that I've taken kind of prepped me for a lot of that, as well as time management, um, understanding where to be, when to be, where I need to be. That's a big, 
big thing that I've had to learn as I've, I've traveled because most of my, my career has been working out of a home office, but also traveling, sure. um, getting to see and visit a lot of people. So within Helena, I had the opportunity to work with a lot of our local branches and growers within the Northwest and explain who Helena is and what we offer for technology. Um, Precision Ag is kind of my background now, I would say. Um, and we, we offer a lot of different technologies with, with soil sampling and agronomy and uh, yield mapping, different things that help us make better decisions and become more efficient as uh, stewards of the land. Wow, that's awesome. And your geography that you're responsible for is from North Dakota to Washington State and from Canada to what Nevada? Yeah, Utah, Utah Nevada, Wyoming. Yeah, kind of, kind of oh. a, a good span of, of geography there for sure. A wide range of geography and obviously a wide range of crop diversity. So exciting opportunity for you and that you're bringing a lot of value, Tom, to growers as well as our Helena representatives throughout the Pacific Northwest and the, in that entire division, that area, um, and and. It's really exciting to hear that a lot of, you know, your foundation came from wearing that blue and gold jacket. Yeah, it is. I When I when we were out at that convention, my kids asked if I was going to bring that blue and gold jacket with me. And, and uh, I said, well, I, I don't think it quite fits anymore. And at, at, at this point, it's just kind of sitting in the closet. So we, we don't well, get much out of it. I know it's tough for guys like you and I to probably slip them on right now, but I think the most important thing there, Tom, is uh, we're still living out that motto on a day-by-day basis. Uh, learning to live, living to serve uh, is a very big, important part of the motto that I think uh, you're certainly displaying. And you're doing that, and you did that last week at the National FFA Convention as you gave presentations on technology and precision agriculture uh, to, you know, like I mentioned, nearly 70,000 attendees. And, and Tom, I got to tip my hat to you. Your sessions were slow slam packed and you had those students eating out of your hand the entire time <laughs> uh it helps to have some kids about that age that i can kind of relate to not that they think that i'm the cool dad or very smart but i feel like i have a little leg up on that i i, I chuckle with you a little bit there because i don't know if your kids are like mine but uh their friends tend to listen to me more <laughs> than they listen to me but uh <laughs> hey uh, we'll, we'll play that card when we can and uh i do want to uh, thank you tom for uh, assisting at the national convention working that booth and sharing your story about agriculture i have to tell you i had many advisors coming up to me thanking you as well as your colleagues for sharing technical insight about careers and opportunities versus some of the other booths that were there just, you know, simply uh, handing out swag. And, and we're excited to bring that type of knowledge uh, from professionals like yourself, Tom, uh, to, to those youth that really represented almost 48 states in Puerto Rico at the National Convention. Yeah, I mean, Helena represents people, products, and knowledge. And that's really the key to, to what Helena provides. And, it, and it's a slam dunk uh, hand in hand with what FFA said, you know, living to serve, and um, really, with the in the back of my mind, that's what it is: is is the experience that I had with my my advisor being a great mentor and a great person, and saying, you know what, that that's what this this group of folks need. They need somebody to mentor and to serve and to to help as they are trying to figure out what their what their future holds. That's right. 
Well, Tom, Tom Bowen, I want to thank you again uh, for doing all that you do with growers across the, the, uh, the Northwest and, and the Western part of our country and, and really the inspiration that you bring to all of the youth that you touch today. Uh, Tom Bowen, thanks for joining us here today on FieldLink. Great. Thank you, Bill. Up next is Jody Lawrence for a commodity market update. Now joining us from Nashville is Jody Lawrence. Jody, an awful lot happening uh, across the globe as it relates to wheat, you know, as the Russians make some strategic decisions here most recently. Uh, Jody, how about an update in the uh, grain market? Okay, Bill, good to be back. Uh, Yes, over the weekend, the uh, President Putin and his Russian advisors decided to back out of the humanitarian export corridor deal, which was allowing safe passage to all of the ships exporting Ukraine's corn and wheat, and uh, they backed out of that because of several concerns that they voiced the whole time that the UN had told them that the wheat and corn was going to go to the most food-impoverished countries, and as it turned out, uh, a lot of it was not uh, once it got through the Bosporus and passed Istanbul, and when Russia found out about that, and just simply the escalation of the war. Uh, Putin looks like he's trying to end it quicker as it keep as it's drawn out now into its uh, eighth month. So with that, wheat was uh, opened up fifty la- higher on Sunday night, uh, on the thirty on the thirtieth Sunday night, and uh, finished up forty nine on the day after a forty cent range during the day. Corn was pulled up with it, finishing uh let's see finishing up about 12 about 10 cents and with that now the the world wheat corn and grain markets have to figure out how this logistical snarl is going to affect international grain movement and what that really how it really will affect anything coming out of russia and as it pertains more importantly to the U.S. market, what fertilizer is going to be allowed out of Russia that we will be using on our 23 crops? Definitely a lot of complexity, uh, you know, globally. And, and, and I think it's important for growers to really understand that because, you know, with some of those exports uh, in Ukraine being inhibited, it's certainly going to impact our prices, as you indicated here in the U.S. But couple that with some of the challenges we have here domestically. You know, we talked last time about the Mississippi River. It's pretty dry, obviously. And in some cases, we were getting reports that it's more expensive to move uh, grain down from even Kentucky to, to, to New Orleans than it is from New Orleans to uh, China uh, definitely putting a, a strain on the global supply. Yes, the record low river levels, and you have a lot of things tying in this year to the last time we saw these river levels and basis and everything that is uh, being affected by the river transport was during the severe drought of 2012 and then uh, on the basis levels, and then you have to go back 30 or 40 years to even find river levels this low when you're talking about, you know, going from St. Louis down to New Orleans, Memphis, certainly in the middle of it, uh, Cairo, where the Ohio River spills into the Mississippi. So uh, just a lot of problems. Uh, the barge weight limits have been reduced dramatically. So that means more barges are going to have to be used, which increases freight rates, which uh it means it, it just works its way through the schedule. The, I guess the silver lining to the low river is that as the World Banks have 
tightened up interest rates and and forced the slowdown of domestic consumption worldwide, the U.S. export program has slowed dramatically. So from that respect, the but the barge is it, it's not having as massive effect as it would had we been in a much uh, better export position. But the interesting counterpart to that is that interior basis in most areas that I spoke to, and I spoke and I've spoke to people in uh, the corn surplus areas of the eastern corn belt, and certainly the corn deficit areas of the western corn belt. And basis is as good as it has been since 2012 when we had the severe drought and yields were 45 bushels lower than this in corn. So you've got a, a very confusing situation, only clouded by the low river levels, clouded by the slow imports or slow export program and the wrench that Russia threw into this that now sourcing grain from around the world is going to become an even more expensive and pro- and possibly more difficult uh, factor to achieve. Well, and, and then coupled with some, you know, increasing uh, fuel uh, prices that we're experiencing across the U.S. currently and, and, and in some reports saying, hey, we've only got, you know, 18, 20 days of supply left in diesel. I mean, uh, Jody, ground us out a little bit here. Is this is this chatter or is this real? Well, there's certainly a supply shortage and you can look at it at the price at the pump and where the futures markets are. But when this administration took over, they changed policy and they made uh, they made a statement to the their backers uh, in, in the green energy community that uh, they were going to try to limit uh, all the refining capacity and they have certainly done that and as far as diesel being uh, you know one of the uh, crew you know one of the uh, very a lot of pollution comes out of it's what i'm trying to say is that it uh that capacity has been has been uh cut back i wouldn't say dramatically but certainly coming out of the middle of covid when we had any refining cutback and uh, an expansion in driven miles you have more use of diesel than you did two years ago and now you're seeing that through low supplies high prices and just a variety of issues and if you look at uh, crude oil or uh, crude oil is uh, staying in between 85 and 90 dollars and has broken about ten dollars lately but but the price of diesel really has only dropped about ten or fifteen cents, and is still trading in the uh, in the three sixty to three seventy on futures level. So you got you know a, a very difficult dynamic when you look at the expense of barge freight, when you look at the high price of diesel. That moving anything and getting your logistics right on transporting anything from fertilizer to grain to basic necessities at a grocery store. Or the world's more expensive because of some policies that uh, you know are are currently in place that have to be addressed. Yeah, definitely. You know, diesel impacts the entire supply chain, as you mentioned, Jody. Not just from from the agriculture input and side of things, but but the consumer side too. Everything you open up a refrigerator, pretty much everything in that refrigerator has been moved by diesel, likely. Uh, speaking of energy, right now and transportation and logistics, Jody. Uh, are you picking up any any uh, insight as far as some of the rail contracts that we're having with the unions right now? 
two uh, last check, two of the labor unions being represented in the big pact have voted against the agreement. And we're coming up on a date later this week. I believe it's Thursday, could be Friday, that the tentative agreement and the temporary agreement that was reached last week uh, is is scheduled to end, but uh, everybody in D.C. has promised that they will keep the the railways running and keep them in uh, in the uh, offices negotiating. So you've got a, another you know another problem with that because if if the rails went on strike on top of the low river levels uh, with everything that's going on, it, it's shaping up to potentially be the perfect storm and. While I certainly don't want to see it just from a, a business and leverage standpoint, you can understand why the ball really is in the rail union's court and they know it and they're using it to the best benefit of their union members. Well, and, uh, and as you mentioned, timing's everything, right? And as we look across much of the nation, uh, the harvest is really moving along pretty well. Uh, what kind of harvest updates are you seeing across uh, you know, your geography that you're working predominantly, Jody? And, and how, how – could it impact some of these uh, logistics that we're, we've just chatted about? Well, the crop progress just came out a few minutes ago, and corn is 75, or excuse me, 76 percent harvested, uh, and an average year is 64 percent. But obviously, with the uh, just unrelenting drought uh, that we have seen, uh, you know, across the entire country for a large part uh, since uh, early you know, since or late summer. And then, of course, Western Corn Belt for the entire year, the harvest is ahead of schedule. Uh, Beans came in at 88%. An average year there is 78%. So we're moving along ahead of pace and looking at the forecast. I would think everybody except the very latest of, uh, you know, in cleanup stage will, everybody will be done uh, by Thanksgiving uh, pretty easily. And that only aids the USDA in finding out what true national yield is for the January report. And that really adds back to what we spoke about earlier is why is basis so high if harvest is so far ahead of schedule? There's, you know, there's a real, you know, confusing element to trying to figure out if uh, the cash market is leading us somewhere that nobody wants to believe because with that much extra harvest already in the pipeline, as we sit here at the end of October, prices should be under more pressure than they are. A lot of a lot, a lot of moving parts happening in the markets right now uh, between petroleum, logistics, and of course, harvest. Uh, Jody, want to thank you for your time coming to us from Nashville today for your insight. Thank you, Bill. Now we're going to share several recordings from the FFA convention in the Expo area, the 95th National FFA convention from the Helena booth. Here we visited with several students, uh, members of the FFA, as well as advisors and Helena employees that once wore the blue and gold jacket. Joining me today here on FieldLink is Kaysen Furneman. Kaysen is from Collierville, Tennessee. Kaysen, welcome to FieldLink. I appreciate it, Bill. Casey, tell us a little bit about your role uh, at Helena and what you do uh, at that uh, at, at Helena today. Uh, well, I'm in the equipment and fleet services department. Um, uh, my title is a field equipment support tech, and what that means is I pretty much am a corporate contact for locations involving custom application. 
Uh, I track the hours and acres and expenses on all of our machines across the country. And I'll put that in the report and send it out every month. So we can actually see what we're doing at each location. Wow. So, Kason, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, how did you get your start uh, in, in agriculture? You were an FFA member. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, sure. I was uh, in the Carville, Tennessee location um, chapter uh, for all four years of high school. Okay. Um, so I did all, I did competitions in ag sales, land judging. Um, I did dairy judging one time, didn't do oh, too wow. good in that one. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, all four years. Uh, I actually went to national uh, with a chapter in, I think, 2010. 2010. So. And, and was that in Louisville or was that in Indianapolis? It was in Indianapolis. It was in, so it's kind of like flashback today, huh? Yes, sir. So some of those skills, some of those things that you did um, in FFA and Collierville and high school, how did that kind of prepare you for your next journey or your next career in agriculture? Oh, it definitely gave me a, a sense of there's more to, to agriculture than just, you know, farming. I mean, you look around and you're walking through here and you see, you know, everything that you can do. And uh, it's a broad horizon. I mean, I uh, I was president my last year. Okay. So um, getting, getting to actually run a chapter and it was pretty cool. I mean... And learning how to run a meeting. I right. mean, those are some soft skills that are taught. Uh, Tom Bowen one, uh, was with us earlier, talked about you know, the parliamentary procedure skills that he learned, how to run in a meeting oh, yes, effectively. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you got, you got to set it up, and it's it's tap the gavel, it's going, and wait your time and everything. And yeah. It, it's it's real official. I mean, you, know, it, you also get the chance to go out and just meet new people from all over and really really builds your social skills too as well as professional skills in the same manner i mean you got to dress up I mean, you look around everybody black pants white shirt dice tie and, you know build your professional skills as well you know i think that's really important that you bring it up you know that official dress has stayed the same for to my knowledge anyhow for the last 95 plus years uh it's still the same old corduroy jacket um that you know my dad my granddad all wore um it, but but you're right you don't see that students dressing up like this every day professionally, uh, but they sure are here at the National FFA Convention in Indianapolis. Casey, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, some of the things you're doing here at the convention this week and uh, what you're sharing with students. So here today we have our uh, Raven demo stand set up, which is going to be the uh, a system in our custom application equipment. You can pretty much run the machine off of this. It runs off GPS, and it's pretty much showing the kids nowadays all the cool technology that we're actually putting in our machines running in the field to take a, take a lot of the work off of our applicators. For sure, and you definitely have had a lineup of students here, FFA members, for the last couple days, and uh, uh, they're asking some hard questions, too. I'm, I'm impressed with just the engagement. Oh, yes, sir. I mean, we got a line over there right now. Yeah, that's great. And they're just getting on that system, and, and really, uh, I think it's a great opportunity. You know, uh, clearly in our industry, we have a need for custom applicators, and what a great place to, you know, set that stage to see what custom application could be like. It's it's more than just driving a machine. There's a lot of technology packed in that machine. Oh, yes, sir. So, um, Kaysen, we really appreciate you coming in here, joining us today. We appreciate all that you do uh, for uh, Helena. Uh, kind of the hidden back secrets a little bit. There's a lot going on there, uh, managing a lot of that equipment. And we appreciate you sharing your FFA story with us today. Uh, appreciate you, Bill. Thank you, bud. 
Joining us back on FieldLink is Clay Perkins. Clay works in the research and development area at uh, Helena at the Helena Products Group in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Clay, welcome to FieldLink. Thanks, Bill. Glad to be here. Awesome. Clay, uh, you know, you're spending some time here at the National FFA Convention, working the trade show booth uh, to, 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 to teach the future of uh, agriculture. But, Clay, you're, tell us a little bit about your FFA journey. Uh, where did you grow up, and uh, how, how did you get involved in FFA? Right. So I'm from Dyersburg, Tennessee, and I was part of the Dyersburg FFA chapter. Uh, but I believe I can credit FFA to where I am today uh, and having a career with Helena like I do. Uh, but, you know, I was heavily involved. I started it my freshman year, uh, before I even got into high school, um, working on the farm and then uh, showing and raising market lambs all four years through high school. Wow. So uh, what, what kind of other activities were you involved in in FFA other than raising lambs? Yeah, so I was part of, you know, started out with creed speaking and uh, parliamentary procedure, livestock judging, soil judging, um, all the different CDEs that FFA has available. And Clay, how did, how did some of those, I guess, experiences kind of help you, you know, navigate to your next journey uh, heading on to college and so forth? I think the biggest thing is just the public speaking. Um, I credit a lot to FFA helping me with my public speaking, getting me to where I am today. You know, here to be able to, to work at the booth and, and reach these kids and, and know what they've been through. Um, but bringing them into the booth and teaching them about what we're doing here at Helena and HBG as well. No, that's awesome. And I think that's a, a, a huge skill that, you know, a lot of folks we've talked to has talked about, you know, the speaking skills, just gaining that confidence at that early age to become comfortable and put together a, a structured, I guess, presentation or speech. Absolutely. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now uh, at, in the R&D department at Helena. Yeah, so I'm on the crop protection side uh, with Helena in the R&D group. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we've, you're trying to quit drawing those lines because we've, you know, reaching out crop production, crop protection, uh, just so we can bring the best products uh, and best solution to the growers. Uh, but we're, you know, testing, looking at over, you know, 80 different uh, compounds right now or products uh, that we're trying to, you know, maybe add to our portfolio in the future. So while we're working here at the uh, trade show in Indianapolis at the 95th uh, National FFA Convention, uh, what kind of questions are you getting from some of these students? And they're from all over the place. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, it's ranged from, you know, what we do in R&D, but then also, you know, we just heard from Steve Seaman, you know, on presentations on drones and kids wanting to do that. You know, my kid just came up wanting to sell crop insurance. Wow. Uh, you know, somebody's wanting to be a mechanic. So, but I think, you know, that's where we can, you know, hit back with them with Helena because we have so many opportunities for them, you know, not only for an internship, but a job down the road as well. Yeah, I think you're right about that. You know, we've talked to lots of different folks here that are interested in equipment and, uh, you know, Kaysen, he was on the show earlier today talking about equipment services. Uh, we've talked to, uh, you know, students that are interested in chemistry. They're talking to some of our chemists that are here on site uh, doing some demonstrations uh, to learn more about adjuvants and how they actually impact agriculture. Uh, so, yeah, we're a wide range of students absolutely yeah i think they're enjoying fixes demo here yeah definitely so well uh you know uh clay want to thank you for coming uh to to indianapolis to represent helena and share your ffa story and i guess continue that journey uh you know once you put that blue jacket on it it, it still has a piece of your soul a little absolutely bit. absolutely brings back several good memories you bet thanks for joining us here today on field clay thanks bill 
right, and welcome back to FieldLink. Uh, we're reporting here today from the National FFA Convention, and I have with me in the uh, booth today Laura Bohannon. Uh, she is from the Waverly FFA chapter in Tennessee. Lauren, welcome to FieldLink. Thank you. Lauren, tell us a little bit about you. Where's home, uh, and uh, what, what, are you, uh, what grade are you in? Um, I'm a senior at Waverly Central High School, and we, Waverly is a small town. It's a small town, and you're in the FFA chapter there. How long have you been an FFA member, Lauren? I've only been an FFA member for this year. This year, okay. Yes, sir. And what do you, uh, what do you think about your first experience uh, here at the National FFA Convention in Indianapolis? It's really mind-blowing to see all the different states and just to see everybody. It's a lot of people here. Over yes. seventy thousand people here at the national conventions this year. Are you seeing? Have you have you had a chance to interact with some of those other FFA members yet? Yes, sir. We have. Any 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 interesting states or any interesting stories? Um, no, I don't think I have any interesting stories. <laughs> Not yet, right? Not yet. The week is early. That's yes, right. sir. So, um, Lauren, uh, you've gone around the expo here. You've seen some several booths. What's what's really exciting for you uh, to you know explore these different career opportunities? Um, me personally, not knowing what I want to do yet when I graduate, it's interesting to see the different careers because they're mostly the known careers like lawyers, doctors, nurses are what people try to push on others, but seeing the different ones is really like eye-opening. Yeah, definitely a lot of opportunities here at the Career Expo here in Indianapolis at the National FFA Convention. And, and Lauren, I hope you take advantage of visiting with a lot of these different reps from different organizations and companies. Uh, and you're going to stop back here and uh, sit in a couple of our sessions, right? Yes, sir. We're going <laughs> to learn a little bit about precision agriculture and sales and chemistry. Yes, sir. All right. Lauren, thanks for joining us here today on FieldLink, and have a safe trip back to Tennessee. Thank you. Okay, and uh, joining us here on FieldLink uh, in the FFA uh, convention here at the Helena booth is uh, Chris Bath. Chris is an FFA advisor and vocational education instructor in Waverly, Nebraska. Chris, Thanks for joining us here in FieldLink. Yeah, thanks for inviting me to sit down with you, Bill. That's awesome, Chris. We've gone uh, we've gone back many years, and you've been involved uh, uh, as an agriculture instructor, FFA advisor for uh, quite some time. Tell us about your journey. How did you get involved in FFA, and uh, what are you doing today? So my FFA journey obviously started in high school, as a lot of people can say. Uh, just the the excitement around FFA kept me involved, and as I advanced through college, I ended up as a ag ed major and student taught. Um, just fell in love with the career, and I've been teaching ever since. Uh, been in it for quite a while, seen a lot of changes. I came in in the 90s, and now 2022, things are different. Uh, students are different. Curriculum is different. Um, it's just it's just a, a gradual change. And Chris, you're kind of unique from the standpoint you've got to teach over your career in multiple different disciplines, I guess, you know, urban settings as well as rural settings. Uh, you're currently in more of a rural uh, type setting, but tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, so um, that experience started out with my student teaching. I student taught in, or in Norfolk, which was a fairly large high school at the time and, and still is. It's considered Class A in Nebraska, which means there's about eight to 900 students running through the nine through 12 hallways every day. Um, and that's, that's about the size that I'm at now. It's Class B right now, but we've got about 700 students, nine through 12. So I, I started student teaching in a similar situation that I'm in now. 
But uh, in the meantime, I had been at smaller schools, you know, with an average of 42 students per uh, graduating class, all the way down to 12 students per graduating sure. class. So I've seen just about all different sizes of schools. So what are some of the, I guess, core areas that you're teaching uh, students today? You know, agriculture is evolved, and, and, and so has the FFA, and some of the curriculum that you're working on. All of my curriculum is based on semesterized courses. Um, I do follow pathways. I try to start those students out in a nice intro class where we cover a lot of the basics in animal science, plant science, natural resources, ecology, um, and it, of course focusing on the science. I do a whole unit on science equipment and how to how to set up an experiment, how to do an experiment in a laboratory, so uh, very science-based. Um, and then, of course, the leadership component with the freshmen or the intro students. Uh, from that, they can take any one of four different uh, pathways, which would be plant science, natural resources, agribusiness, or animal science, and that's just in our, our school. I know some of the other schools have different pathways, too. Um, from that, the more capstone courses would include agronomy, uh, floral design, landscape design, those are kind of in the plant world. Um, I'm currently teaching a wildlife management class that I absolutely love, and the students in there are wow. just a lot of fun. Um, so that would be the advanced course from uh, the natural resources and environment uh, intermediate course. Um, animal science seems to be my strongest pathway that I have students interested in. So, so from animal science, they can go into companion animals, large animal management, or uh, veterinary science. Um, and then in agribusiness, I have agribusiness and then the advanced course there is agri agriculture sales and marketing. Sure, and, there's, and again, listen to the coursework here. It's a very wide range of curriculum that students are exposed to because quite frankly, at that age, they don't all know what they want to do. And, and, and this is a great platform to expose them to different areas of agriculture. And I always tell my students, especially in that freshman or intro level, I, I, I love that you have experiences, and I love that you love the experiences that you're having, but I also love that you don't like some of the experiences, because that's helping you narrow down your career field that you're really interested in. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, uh, specifically, uh, you know, with technology becoming a bigger part of agriculture today, what are some of the areas that you're experiencing from an agriculture, uh, I guess, technology standpoint? Um, so I am currently teaching the curriculum for agriculture science education courses, um, which is CASE for short. Um, in the CASE courses, there's a lot, a lot of science-based uh, lessons that we use the Vernier lab equipment, which is um, pretty high technology and, and uh, collects some pretty good data that we can compare. You know, the precision ag field uh, is just huge, and a lot of the students are, are leaning towards those types of things. So it, the technology is, is quite intense, um, even to the point in my wildlife management class that I, entered, that I mentioned before, uh, we've got some pretty high-tech um, uh, game cams that we set up so we can track some game and everything and such, uh, where they move, what time of the day are they moving. 
that kind of stuff. So um, there's a lot of technology involved. Yeah, definitely, and we're certainly incorporating more of that into our everyday lives here at Helena and, and, and across all of uh, agriculture. Is, that's Well, Chris, we're really excited for you to your commitment to, to this industry, to agriculture, to developing the youth that, you know, quite frankly, they're going to help continue to feed all of us one day. Yeah, they sure are, they sure are. And they're, they're really, they really get excited. Um, when you take them into a new environment, for example, a greenhouse or, or out in a field somewhere or up close with the animals, they really get excited yeah and I think that's a great point you know it's it's taking kids not just in the classroom but getting them out into the real world to touch and feel uh, you know the, those actual experiences that help you know reduce the food and fiber and fuel uh, that we all you know appreciate and need and FFA does a really nice job through their career education um, and the career development events that the students compete in, uh, where they get to go out in the field and, and really get their hands dirty and applying things that they learn in the classroom. So, you know, FFA just does, does a great job bringing that full circle for the students trying to figure out a career. Yeah. And that's why we have. Uh, and it's like Helena here, it's a great opportunity. Absolutely, and you know, thank you for bringing your students by today to sit in some of our sessions, uh, to learn a little bit more about our precision platform, uh, along with some of the chemistry that we're developing here. That's pretty unique to them, and, and really just to expose them to different aspects of agriculture. Yeah. All right. Thanks. So thanks, much, thanks for joining us, Chris. Joining us here now on the field link at the uh, National FFA convention is Cole Hansen. And Cole is a uh, former Helena intern uh, that's joining us here, attending the National FFA convention. And uh, Cole, welcome to field link. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you for having me on. Well, uh, Cole, why don't we start off a little bit and tell us a little bit about your FFA journey and, and really, you know, how, how, how it molded you to get to where you're at today. How it kind of started for me was sixth grade when I joined the FFA. Um, I kind of got my start in 4-H prior to that, showing my livestock. Sure. And uh, that's where the love came from. I realized that once I got into the sixth grade, I could wear the FFA jacket and do the same thing. And uh, so then it went on from there. I started doing all the contests, uh, contests like forestry, nursery, and landscape. And uh, that kind of shaped my love for the agricultural industry as a whole, rather than just the livestock side of the ag industry. And, um, you know, and that just kind of molded me and, and shaped me and uh, led me to my career path, which is agriculture. And... Um, Primarily like agribusiness management with like a concentration in plant science. Sure. And uh, then this wonderful opportunity uh, showed up knocking on my door um, last summer. Okay. And um, I got the opportunity to go up to uh, work in Georgia with the turf and ornamental side of the business. Oh, wow. And so you work for Helena in the turf and ornamental side. But uh, your FFA journey, let's talk about some of the things that you did and experienced uh, while in high school, uh, some of the contests and so forth that uh, helped you out in developing you. I would say for sure uh, the, the hands-on contest with that plant identification and weed identification. You know, so like, you know, forestry, citrus. Citrus is more unique to Florida. I think only Florida and California are the only two states that do that contest, which is really cool. Um, so you can't compete at the national level, but it's still a lot of fun. Um, and then also nursery and landscape. I did floriculture too. I was a flower boy a little uh, bit. There you so go. <laughs> that was fun. Um, I did contest. I did some speaking contests too. I did uh, Par Pro, which is parliamentary procedure. Mm -hmm. That's the procedure that you follow in all the the major, uh, I guess you would say, company meetings. And, sure. Uh, and you know, even in the courtrooms, usually they try to follow follow the Robert's rules of order. But and also, I did prepare public speaking. So that's where you prepare the speech and uh, give about a six to eight minute speech in front of a panel of judges and an audience, and they get to ask you questions on it. So awesome. That's where that's uh, where it kind of started for me. And then you know, I said, you know what? Let's. Uh, 
my senior year, I was like, you know, let's go, let's go out for a WFORD FFA state officer. And, uh, luckily, the Lord blessed me, and I was able to, to take on that opportunity and I had the best year, and, you know, then I started college. So, so Cole, tell us a little bit about your state officer experience. You know, what, what office did you hold? And to, to talk, uh, talk to our audience a little bit about that experience. Absolutely. So uh, we, we had a rigorous uh, screening process that took, took, course, uh, took place over the course of two different days. Uh, we went through, I think, seven or eight different interviews, including um, a written exam. And uh, it was rigorous, but you learn a lot about yourself. And um, I knew that, you know, whether or not that worked out for me, that I had the, had the plan and the bag, whether to go on to college and study agriculture or serve the FFA for an additional year. And uh, luckily, the uh, serving the FFA for an additional year kind of took up on that. And uh, so I was elected as a candidate um, for the Area 5 State Vice President position. Okay. Uh, luckily, luckily enough, I, uh, I um, went to the state convention and I got voted in to, to you know, get the position. And uh, throughout the year, we did a lot of awesome events. We hosted a lot of workshops. We got to speak to a lot of students. Went to, I think I went to 45 different high schools and middle schools. Um, so the wheels on my Toyota took home were running hot. I think I put like 40,000 miles on my truck that, That's through awesome. the course of that year. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and then we, we came to awesome conferences like the National FFA Convention. We delegates and got to sit in the front row over there at uh, the uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, which was a lot of fun. But it's just the outreach that you get with students and, and, and uh, the leadership opportunity that that is to make an impact on their life. Um, I think that's that's really important to a lot of students. And I think that it often gets overlooked a little bit because, you know, some people tend to look at state offices like a, uh, you know, it's a cool thing. It's like more of an expansion of your FFA career rather than, no, it's, you know, it's really a year where you get to serve. And yes, it's about you, but it's also about the members that you're serving. So um, it, it was truly a lot of fun. That's awesome, and uh, congratulations on holding that office. And you're you've moved on now, and uh, you know moving through your career, and and certainly, clearly, you know the the foundation that was laid by wearing the blue and gold jacket has certainly paid off as you you know navigate through the rest of your career. Now, tell us a little bit about now. You're attending, where, where are you going to school? I go to school in Warner University, which is a private Christian university in Lake Wells, Florida. Okay. Um, it is a, um, they have a great ag program there. Um, that's my major. My major is ag, ag studies, primarily in plant science. And then uh, my minor is in biblical studies. Okay. And, uh, so being a private Christian university, we get to take classes. Like there that, you go. awesome. Um, but so that's where I'm at now. I'm going to graduate on April 28th. I'm counting down the days. Wow. I'm ready to uh, to move on with it and hopefully have a spot this summer with Helena once again. And uh, we'll just kind of see where, where it goes from there. But that's where I'm at right now. And um, I just, I, I really owe the, the uh, I guess, the, the timing and, and just placement of my career to the little gold jacket and the FFA. I'm just super thankful for those opportunities. Cole, thank you for your service to the FFA, and thank you for you know your work last summer with Helena. We look forward to you know staying close as you make your way through your journey, and uh, uh, enjoy your good time here in Indianapolis at the National FFA Convention. Thank you so much, Mr. Bill. Thank you. Joining us here again at the uh, Helena booth at the National FFA Convention, the 95th National Convention, is Christina White. Christina uh, is from uh, California. Christina, welcome to Fielding. Hey, Christina, you know, uh, we talked a little bit uh, about uh, your, your role now at Helena working in the agri-intelligence space, but it didn't start there. Uh, you started, like a lot of the folks here, with a blue and gold jacket in FFA. Tell us about your FFA journey. You know what? FFA had a huge impact on my career in ag. It's actually how I got started. I mean, I was in FFA as a green hand my freshman year. I was lost like a puppy, and I had an ag advisor who found me and said, you know what? You're going to do the creed. 
And at that time, my life, I had never done public speaking. I had no interest whatsoever, but they didn't really give me a choice, and that's what magnetizers do. And uh, I competed for the first time and continued to compete, found out that I actually really enjoyed it. I got involved with many judging teams, and it showed some animals, and, you know, it never stopped. It's interesting, once you start, it's almost addictive. So FFA had a huge impact, but I just, I kept going with it, and I joined, um, I joined multiple judging teams, I did land judging, livestock, uh, met a lot of people along the way, and what's interesting is I run into those people here and there, and it's amazing. The world is much smaller than you realize. Yeah, it's amazing how FFA connects people at a young age, and it really kind of continues throughout their you know, entire journey. So let's tell uh, the folks, uh, where, where did you grow up in California? So I grew up in Central California, smack dab in the middle of California, 20 acres of almonds, and so I've always been around ag, but once I got into FFA and really got involved with land judging, it all kind of put it in perspective. You know, I had watched my dad great, you know, grow almonds, I jumped on the tractor here and there, but once I actually took it from the classroom to the field, it was a whole different perspective, a whole wow. different appreciation. So, uh, you know, through your FFA journey, um, obviously you're very involved in a lot of speaking contests and other events. What other kind of offices may, what, what did you hold potentially? Yeah, so I started out as a chapter office. I started out as a chapter officer. I made my way to a sectional officer and, and ended up as a regional officer. Okay, that would have been the central region of California predominantly? Uh, awesome. Excellent. And then you went on to Fresno State. I went on to Fresno State with hopes of being an ag teacher. And interestingly enough, I, I went all the way through. I did my student teaching. made a lot of really great connections. And I decided, you know what? I want to try my luck in industry. And that's, that's actually how I got involved with some of this. I decided not to pursue my degree, or pursue my credentials. Excuse me. Um, met a man by the name of Don Wolf. He said, you know what? You, uh, you like plant science. You like the agronomy piece. But we need somebody a little more technical. I think you can handle that. And you know, I had walked fields at that point, and, and interestingly enough, I walked for a very old school um, consultant who he just, everything he did was by paper. And I, right. back in my mind, I constantly kept going back to good grief. If we could put this, we could put this in a tablet, we could put it in an iPad, put it in something, make this digital, how much more efficient we could be. And it really sparked an interest. So when Don Wolf approached me and said, hey, you know what? I have an opportunity for you. I took it and I Wow, that's awesome. A great story there. How, you know, some of the grassroots things that you learned uh, in vocational education and high school and through the FFA, that how, how it evolved through your career. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing today. So as of today, I am managing the precision services for California and Arizona. I have a team of nine uh, technicians and interns. And what we do is we manage both equipment and telemetry. So we've got a lot of different monitoring equipment that we've got in the field that we maintain. We work alongside our salespeople and our agronomists to help position precision services, agronomy services, and we work with growers as well. So we're, we play we play a role with our representatives as well as guiding our representatives. So kind of every location is treated a little differently, but we're boots on the ground. We meet with a lot of growers still, and it's been a great opportunity for my team to. Many of them have started as interns and they've rolled into technicians and we've got a few specialists and we just continue to grow up. 
Well, interesting uh, area that you're involved in, certainly in agri-intelligence growing uh, across the entire country, trying to help growers produce more more food and fiber. Um, uh, Christina, thank you for joining us here today. It's uh, It's been great having you in the booth, uh, connecting with these young people and really sharing your story during our many learning sessions and, and, and just connecting with them to, uh, to talk about your journey. Hey, it's been a privilege to be here. All right, thanks, Christina. Thanks for joining us on FieldLink. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media.